Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And strange things are afoot at the Circle K. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? This is... I don't know if this is fair to say. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to regret it. This is maybe my favorite series we're doing this season. We're starting Bill and Ted with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a comedy sci-fi film written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, directed by Stephen Herrick, and produced by Scott Krupp. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure premiered on February 17th, 1989, and stars Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and George Carlin, among a full cast of others. Dan, what's our movie review for the week? Our fan review this week comes from Google Audience Reviews from one Ryan Burke, who, exactly a year ago... I believe, (laughs) said one star. I find that movie boring. It's not as fun as the second movie. It's extremely school friendly. It's just all about history. I mean, come on. (laughs) This is my favorite take on this. It's like a little IQ. I love it. it, I mean, come on. (laughs) It's it's extremely school friendly. (laughs) What does that mean? I, uh, I, do, I do have a distinct memory of one day my like social studies teacher rolling a, the TV into the class and just being oh, like, no. we're watching Bill and Ted and just like kicking oh, no. it at the desk <laughs> the whole period. So it is school friendly, school friendly, I guess Yeah, it must be. <laughs> I guess my I had the opposite reaction that I didn't know what school friendly was, because if it if it fit the curriculum, it didn't matter how like graphic or gross anything got like th- they would just be like, this is fine. We'll, we'll, we'll watch something that's our rating. Yeah. 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 It's the curriculum. We watched, we watched arachnophobia in eighth grade science class. Oh, absolutely not. Why is it science class? I just Look, don't I, know. Because they use the scientific I, name for spider. Yeah. We Mark, this is fascinating because we watched mimic in science class. What? Why? Wow. <laughs> Uh, anything to get out of a day of actually teaching children. Uh, okay. Well, there's three voices. Who's our third voice today? Uh, that's me. Uh, yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, hey, How'd I'm Corey. I'm, uh, I just wandered in. There was somebody outside the sound stage <laughs> handing out free Subway sandwiches and um, couldn't resist uh, a free almost foot long. Um, and they said that I had to do this show also if I... If I took the sandwich. Um, and by then I was already like three bites deep. So here we are. You have It's a honey uh, trap. That's what that's about. <laughs> you've, you've exposed it's a honey your trap, own lie. I'll tell you that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, first of all, it's jalapeno cheddar is the way to go at any subway. <laughs> As a man who had to work at Subway, that's the way to do it. Uh, second, you said that we had a soundstage, which the listener knows is not true. So you've already been caught in your lie. There's no way a show that sounds like this has a soundstage. Honestly, it came out of my mouth, and I saw it leaving, and I just I tried to catch it, but by then I was so deep in the yes and it was it was it got it really got away from me, and I'm sorry about that. Well, we'll forgive you just this once. So the way uh, we usually jump into the plot talk is discussing when we first saw the film. Oh. And that's not always a clean jump. <laughs> and this is one of those cases for me where it's not, because I really don't remember. I don't have solid knowledge of not being familiar with Bill and Ted. The dark times, the pre-BBT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I presume it must have been, like, there was a time somewhere around 
91, 92, where it was just like it was on TBS, I don't know, three times a day for a while. And I presume that must have been it. But I don't I don't like I, I do not remember my first encounter with this film. I remember the cartoon. I remember finding that. I'm sorry, the what? Yeah, there was uh, like a Saturday morning Bill and Ted's cartoon. That can't be right. I mean, I believe you. I just <laughs> what exec saw that and was like, you know what would be perfect? I probably the the execs that made the Beetlejuice call, right? Man, yeah. and the first three every the first season season and a half had like Keanu and Alex and George Carlin as the voices no of the cartoon. Way. No, ah. I absolutely true. Wow. Oh my lord. Every, they were just handing out mind. animated series in the eighties, like it was candy. Like yeah, yeah. it didn't, it, it didn't even matter how like appropriate you were for children. Like Beetlejuice had one, Beetlejuice Police Academy yeah. had one, Ghostbusters had one. Like if you had a moderately successful movie, they said let's turn it into an animated series because we can point. merchandise the shit out of that. It's all about the toys, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, do either of you remember the first time you encountered this film? Corey, please go ahead. Yeah, mine was in middle school social studies class. Um, so, uh, because I remember uh, distinctly, like, everyone being so excited that this is the movie that we were going to be watching, and I had no clue what I was in for at the time. Uh, and I left that class, and I know that we didn't get to finish it. We missed uh, the tail end of the movie, and I was you like, "Just watched one class worth of Bill yeah, and Ted." Yeah, and we never like <laughs> caught back up on that. Um, and, and I was just like, "What am I going to do? Like, I have to know about the science, like the the history report." Because uh, <laughs> weirdly, though, that is like the entire stakes of the movie is just yeah. passing <laughs> history class. <laughs> and I didn't get to find out until I think a week later or something. We rented it. From a Hollywood nice. video. Extra nice. I love everything about that. <laughs> love it. This is a movie where I don't know if I have seen this movie before. Um, Is is my great shame. Because I am pretty sure I've seen Bogus Journey. Mm, that's a good one, I don't think... Yeah, but it's weird because I was in the I was in Jesus Town for my entire upbringing, and like, why Bogus Journey is the one that I was exposed to. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like... I've watched it twice now, kind of, because I watched it last night, and then I watched it before we recorded today, half paying attention. Um, mm -hmm. Which I feel like is about as much attention as it demands of you. There's not a lot that... <laughs> yep, yep. There's, there's not... This isn't, like, high art, y'all. It's okay. It is arguably the lowest possible art. <laughs> it, and I say that I, I, luck. I, <laughs> right. Yeah, I do genuinely love this movie very much. Uh, but I, I'll give you that one. Also, before we get into talking about the movie proper, I realized uh, while you did technically introduce yourself, Corey, oh. uh, I don't think we have any like plugs at the end of our show. So the best point for you to like be like, hey, this is where you you might know me from. And I you can listen to my things. This is what I do. And now people can follow your thing when they hear our thing. Um, you <laughs> you should do that during the like your little intro bit. Okay. So you can do it now and we can shuffle it around. But so, I just wanted to make sure you had that opportunity before we went through the podcast and then got to the end. And they're like, they didn't ask me what I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I feel kind of bad that I spent all this time on uh, on talking about the soundstage and this beautiful studio you all have. <laughs> um, because <laughs> literally like three hours ago, I was talking to some of the folks from my podcast, Vibe Proficiency, a D&D &D podcast. Oh. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were like, "Don't forget to plug the show." 
Uh, nice. <laughs> and, uh, I almost did. So. <laughs> a and d podcast is uh, right in our collective wheelhouse. Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> the show's real good. Y'all. Yeah, it, I mean, you should something. go listen to it. I, uh, it's, I, no, uh, it's good. I, I put a lot of time into into the music and like composing like character specific motifs and stuff uh, because I. Uh, I have too many hobbies, and D&D contains multitudes, so I can get them all done in one go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, I guess, should we get into movie talk? I guess so. How about the credits? Let's start with the credits. It's like, what if Wayne's World and Doctor Who like yeah. got yeah. oopsie-doodled into a vat together and mixed? It's, uh, it's, That's exactly what all, it is, yeah. This is a whole-ass movie. Uh, <laughs> I do, like, the first time I saw those opening credits i was still laboring under the delusion that this was some sort of educational film uh <laughs> and it tracked because i was like this is some yeah, pbs yeah. nonsense that i'm watching right now <laughs> it has that it like absolutely plays like a coronet pictures mm-hmm. film yeah <laughs> yeah you know what though uh upon subsequent viewings beautiful immaculate can't get enough uh <laughs> Really, really digging the weird crystals and uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the beautiful music. Uh, it so perfectly sets the tone for what is to come. Yeah. It, Look, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know that you could provide a better thesis statement that early on and call the shot so perfectly. It's an unusual credit sequence. It's it's late 80s. We're starting to mess around with computer graphics and these things. <laughs> And it opens on George Carlin just talking like square to camera. (laughs) Just a really bold choice for an opening. It's just like, let's just start with some cold exposition. We paid for George Carlin. You're getting George Carlin. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, It it solidifies the PBS edutainment vibes right Right. off the bat. Because you're like... Why is Mr. Why is Sir Topham Hat talking to me about <laughs> these radical dudes that lived in the eighties? In a sort of documentary style. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten <laughs> I, when when the newest Bill and Ted movie came out. I went back and rewatched one and two for mm-hmm. the first time in a while, Thanks. and I had legitimately forgotten that it started just like framed on Rufus. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just here telling us about how the future is this beautiful utopia where everything is perfect and everybody loves each other. And I think 2688 is technically the year he is from. I think so. That sounds right. Which is a very, very long time for music to survive. Oh, man. I I yeah. hope that music still exists in 2688. I mean. <laughs> well, I didn't mean the concept of music. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was poorly framed on my part. <laughs> I meant the idea, like, We're over the idea it. that anyone We're artist... Oh, the idea that somebody made a song that transcended right. 680 years. I guess, years you know, there's, like, there's some classic musicians who have been around for a bit, but I just, I love the idea so much <laughs> that, like, the style of the future is specifically, like, 80s glam metal. Oh, God. I can only hope. That's the genre that somehow survives. I think there's this popular uh, aesthetic that is like, you know, it's like born out of like the 60s and we get that like retro space nonsense that I love so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And if I could keep that, but just tack on 
is the 80s glam metal. I think yep. that's everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> See, I I specifically am not a fan of glam metal, which is why this <laughs> makes this movie a very interesting experience to me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's the one we chose? That's the... Okay. I, I, all the genres we just said, we want... <laughs> We want bootleg white snake. We want like Kmart brand poison to like be the thing that lasts forever. We went in and we said Guns and Roses, but the one you find at the Dollar Tree. <laughs> we have Guns well, and Roses. This was at home. like this was right. it at the time. I mean, it's still yeah. a big swing to say like the music of right now is the one that's going to be transcend. Like that's a bold take for anybody, <laughs> right? But these were very contemporary references when they're like cracking Iron Maiden yeah. jokes and things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> i'm give or take on glam metal i get a real kick out of the aesthetic oh, yeah. but to me it is very much the the how do i want to approach this <laughs> I, i'm going to say the soundtrack of my childhood but i don't mean that like oh it's the music i listened to when i was a kid it is the mm-hmm. music that was playing in the mall yeah and on the radio yeah, yeah, yeah. and like it is the ambient noise of my childhood <laughs> So there is some sense of, like, the comfortable nostalgia of being a preteen that exists in the entire aesthetic of this movie for me. There's something here in that, and I've never been able to quantify this, so I mean, I don't want to use this show as a way to unpack my my neuroses. Uh, I never lived through the 80s, uh, but I have this great sense of nostalgia for 80s music. Uh, to the point that it is like one of the few types of music I still make. <laughs> and, well, that's a uh, thing, though. I don't understand why that is. <laughs> I, I I forget the name for it, but that's a thing because like we all grow up in the shadow of the music before us. Because like yeah. when you're seven, you're not picking your own music. You don't have musical taste. Maybe there's something to that. But by that same token, my dad was listening to like 90s grunge. Uh, nice. And I and so I. Your dad was, was listening to the music that I chose when I was old enough to choose my own right. music. <laughs> Amazing. So I'm like, I don't know where this comes from. You know what? Maybe it's Bill and Ted. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the key. I don't know. My here's my here's my problem with glam. Like we glam metal shares all of the same like aesthetic sort of progressivism with none of actually taking it to heart that like. <laughs> The emo, like the pop, like emo co-option, like that happened in the mid two thousands, did. <laughs> Where it's My like all guy liner. Genre. <laughs> it's right. We're in drag about it, right? <laughs> like, like men were wearing guy liner because they couldn't say eyeliner. That was too feminine, yeah. but they wanted to co-op femininity <laughs> because it was like the hot new shit. But also, we're still like deeply homophobic, <laughs> like. <laughs> And it's oh. all that, and this movie is is a lot of that. Like, it's under yeah. the surface, granted, <laughs> except for one very notable exception, which I'm sure we're going to point yeah, out. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta assume that that's coming up. But yeah, um, that said, <laughs> I, I do like me some Alex Winter in a crop top. I'm all about that. Yes, yep. 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 Well, and I think it's arguable that these two boys are very sincere about the music. Oh, yeah. Sure. No, yeah. They can't perform worth a lick yet, but no. like, well, they haven't met Santana are... yet. 
I'm right, not sure. Like two <laughs> sweet and sincere boys. <laughs> I'm not sure they are capable of insincerity. Is the thing is that <laughs> these two golden retrievers only have one mode of operation, and they're sticking to it. Right, and that's the power of this movie is that whatever the weird thing this movie is this weird nonsensical like history parade as you Mm -hmm. say doctor who mashed with wayne's world it is just watching these two sweet charming goom retriever boys just like bounding through scenes looking at each other like look at how much fun we're having isn't this fun yeah it is fun these two men who if they could just you know accept themselves for who they are would just be boyfriends oh for sure yeah <laughs> we all see it that is that is definitely a point i wanted to get to here later and i was hoping that we were gonna bring mm. it up yeah oh, yeah, yeah that's 100 percent. we're talking about that <laughs> we'll have, we'll, we examine subtext as much as we can in, in this particular podcast but especially when we get to the egregious slur we're yeah, going to address uh-huh. that head on. Because yeah. to me, like Dan said a minute ago, this is a movie about two boys in love. Yeah. There's no getting around it. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. All right, so we meet Bill and Ted. After Rufus kind of explains that their entire utopian society is based on the music and philosophy of the two great ones, we meet Bill and Ted, who are just, like, making home videos of their band. Yeah, I, they must have sunk, by the way a lot of money into their cool garage (laughs) setup to film this music video and uh have also no musical skills and i (laughs) and i can't help but relate to this in a very personal way (laughs) see i don't relate to it (laughs) is that like I look around at all that stuff and then they get to the reveal that like they can't play whatsoever. And I'm like, they bought all this musical equipment and didn't eat. What? I, <laughs> this, is, didn't... this is true. Uh-huh. Like four days ago, um, I returned <laughs> <What'd> you... this. <laughs> I Go went ahead. out and spent like $300 on a MIDI guitar because I was like, you... so okay. sure it was going to be the next hot shit. Uh, and it sucked, and I returned it. <laughs> um, but I was like so convinced, like I don't know how to use it, but it is what I need right now. Uh, all right, in the in the movie, <laughs> in the movie, we also learn that Bill and Ted are very bad at history class, presumably yeah. all classes, Probably. but specifically yeah. history class. There's got to be some overlap with some other some other subjects yeah. there, <laughs> and the. The movie's framing is so on the nose because it's not like, look, Bill and Ted, you're really struggling. I need you guys to do well on this last project. It's like, you guys, you are doing a project together and I need you to get an A plus to pass the class. <laughs> like, it's just first pass. The whole movie. It's like the dialogue, the concept. It's just first pass the uh, whole way through. I believe the movie <laughs> was written in four days. <laughs> that's not a joke. I think that's true. Yeah, oh, that's uh, lovely. I, I'm. Yeah, I believe this two hundred percent. Are you kidding me? <laughs> believe it or but not, it's not a movie about nuance. It's a movie about archetypes. This movie yeah. lives within archetypes. Oh, okay. I think that's fair. To okay, say. George Lucas. <laughs> I mean, as much as I want to like goof on this movie, I think there is some like clever filmmaking at play here. <laughs> So they have to get an A plus to pass, says their very serious history teacher. And we then meet because they're 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 bummed out. They're trying to figure out what to do. And we then after school meet Bill's stepmom, Missy, yeah. who is a running thread throughout this movie that I had forgotten about. Yeah. 
I, I like you trying to trump up this being a movie about archetypes and I'm just like racking my brain trying to remember when Joseph Campbell brought up himbos and I'm, <laughs> I'm pulling up empty. Well, see, if you were writing a like a nuanced first person story about a kid <laughs> who's struggling with school, it would not be you need to partner with your best friend and get an A+. plus. <laughs> It would be, you know, you're you're right on the borderline and you really need to score well. And, you know, you, but this movie, like the point of the movie isn't what percent they need to get on the test. The point is this test is the important thing. That's it. Yeah. We're yeah. setting up the archetype of success here. That's what you need to do. Here's the goal. <laughs> Meet the goal. Yeah, the MacGuffin is a good grade. <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> it. It fascinates me because they don't ever bother to explain any of the absurdities and they just go, which is the way you should do it. If right. you're going to have absurdities in your movie, just roll with it. Yeah, don't yeah, not yeah, absurd yeah. if you anymore. explain it. Like, right. I, right. You're, yeah. Don't undermine your own absurdity. Uh, let it re- relish in your own absurdity. Oh, I love, I love that. that they're doing a group project yeah. and they're the only ones doing it as a group. Like, I had not considered that until this exact every, second. Everyone else gives their presentations alone, and Bill and Ted have their... Yes! Oh, boy. Also, about... This is truly delightful to me, that the presentation that gets them an A+, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's got Flash, sure, but I love that what they're studying as, I think, seniors in 12th grade history... Is definitely stuff that my fourth grader learns in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Really good. So, okay. So, Missy picks him up, takes him home. Missy is the reason I presume they have all of this expensive equipment. Not because she is purchasing them, but because clearly, like, Bill, Bill's home life has been difficult. He lost yeah. his mom. His dad married young. I imagine his dad, who is not an attentive parent throughout the course of this movie, <laughs> Just, like, throws money at his kid when he feels guilty about not being a good dad. I think he... Doesn't he literally do that to get them out of the room? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he literally hands literally, them money and is like, bye. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, me and your mother, your stepmother, who is, like, a year older than you, are about to have a... a conjugal Ted asked in, out on to your prom. Bed. Yes! <laughs> I wish we spent more time with that. I wish... We just got more the, of Ted giving him crap. That his, <laughs> it gives me it gives me stepbrothers energy. Like so there's nice. a scene in Step Brothers that me and uh, my sibling will quote all the time, where <laughs> um, I can't. Uh, I'm I'm spacing on his name, but Steve Brule comes out of like the bathroom talking to his dad at the beginning of that movie, and he's like, "What if she sees me coming out of the shower?" And <laughs> the dad's like, "Shut the fuck up, Dale." It has that same energy whenever. <laughs> yep. yep. Keanu is giving out. Yes, it's perfect. There is a moment in this film that I believe is a perfect joke. I think there's a perfect joke in this movie. Just the one? Uh, There's a lot of. (laughs) There's one I think you could teach in class. I don't know what class. As it's just it's just a perfect structure of a joke. But I also really love the as you call it the stepbrothers energy of everything between. Like it's even set up early because I think at one point Bill says to Ted. Remember when she was a senior when we were freshmen? Yeah. Which is a mm-hmm. very good staging. 
it tees it right up. (laughs) And then, yeah, he's like, do you remember when I asked her out to prom? And he's like, shut up. Like, immediately, like, the aggression rises, and it's just like, oh, it's a perfect comedic timing on that one. We learn about Bill's stepmom and his home life, and then we immediately learn, because they drop Ted off briefly at his house to pick some stuff up before they can study together, I think. I guess. And we meet Ted's, like, super archetypical cop dad. He's just like, his name might as well be cop dad. Yeah, he, yeah. His yeah. personality is that he has, he's a cop. Yep. <laughs> Every character in this movie that isn't Bill and or Ted, uh, is, it, it is what it says on the tin, right? Like, teacher, yeah. yep. cop dad. Uh, like yep. student who plays football like you know what they are from the one second of interaction you get <laughs> right and cops cop dad's gonna do whatever i don't know if this is still a threat but in every like 80s through at least mid 90s kid media a key threat that an overaggressive father would level was military school yeah I don't know if that still exists. I presume it must. But so, like, Slater's dad was going to send him to military school and save by the bell once. Yeah, I mean, like, Cadet Kelly. That was in the yeah, 2000s. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there might have been some family history there, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe that one doesn't count. <laughs> I almost brought up Mr. Feeney, so I'm glad we're in this, like, this is the kind <laughs> of discussion that we're having. <laughs> but yeah, Ted's dad is disappointed in ted for not being able to get his life together and he's going to solve that presumably by making a young ted go overseas and kill some people he doesn't know that'll definitely straighten his life out (laughs) right if we go kill a bunch of poor brown people in another country you'll know (laughs) it'll make a man out of you that'll show you to not do a high school history report (laughs) (laughs) question mark I don't know what it says about me that like I remember being like, oh, but he'd have to cut his hair like that. Yeah. That was like the stakes <laughs> for me when I was a that. kid. <laughs> it is so fun to see this young version of Keanu Reeves oh. and like his early iconic hair. And he's just he's such a puppy in this movie. He, yeah. Keanu Prime. Yeah. <laughs> Keanu Prime. They yeah, they are. Yeah, they are they are golden retriever boys, and we're going to say it a million yep. times because <laughs> have you you could throw a stick and they would chase it. It's incredible. <laughs> All right, we now cut back to Rufus. Remember Rufus? We're back to Rufus. And he Why is does he have sh- the dog name? Why does Rufus <laughs> get the dog name when both of our leads are the golden retrievers? Go ahead. Rufus is being instructed by, I think, like the council. Whoever it is that sort of rules the future. I don't think they, I think they get a name in one of the subsequent flicks. I think you're right. Yeah, I think there is more more later. (laughs) There must be. The deep Bill and Ted lore that everyone's been scrambling (laughs) for. (laughs) It's really delightful that the stakes of this movie are this perfect utopian society is going to cease to exist. Unless we meddle in the past. (laughs) Because the regular course of action is that they fail this test. That's what should have happened. 
Time travel rules are it's, a little wiggly in this one, huh? Look, <laughs> it's fascinating. It is fascinating to me that Mark loves this movie because he is a noted hater of time travel. I hate <laughs> time travel movies. But here's the thing. If time travel movies aren't taking themselves seriously, that's fine. I'm on board. It's being used for comedic device. No problem. It's when time travel movies get real intense and try to explain to me the science that I check out real hard. <laughs> There's no science in this. Like, I'm pretty sure the world of Bill and Ted is like a completely deterministic universe where what is going to happen is always what was going to happen. Yep. yep. It's gotta be, like, right? That seems, like... that seems to be the world they live in. But, uh, but this this argument starts to get a little perforated uh, later in the movie when they start uh, deciding to mess with the present later. <laughs> right? <laughs> See that's that's weird because that's my that's why I think we live in a deterministic universe for Bill and Tediverse is because they're just like we're gonna we are always gonna we to get through this yep. we we're always gonna do the thing we were gonna do in the future to fix this problem yeah, so like the keys are obviously already here there's already someone typing up a message on this typewriter a trash can that falls from nowhere from nothing <laughs> from nothing. Is there like a Bill and Ted, like Spider Man, and up and like? <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered if they were in the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, it's like crawling around it's like, like <laughs> little foam tiles up there. What I happened have... here? Uh, see, this is what I mean. It's the perfect level of disregard <laughs> for time travel. I don't care. They were just trying to get through the plot at that point. That's fair. Yeah, clearly. So Rufus heads out in his basically TARDIS in his phone box time yeah. travel machine. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was, like, the bit, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this would have been, like, very shortly after or right around the time, like, the BBC was wrapping the original Doctor Who runs. So there you go. It was airing in PBS in America. It was, like, there was definitely some, some cultural awareness <laughs> here. So Rufus finds them at the Circle K, which is a convenience store, where they're just, like, sitting on the curb kind of game planning what they're going to do about their report. <laughs> I love that bit uh, because they're, like, at the Circle K, right? And they're just yep. asking random people who walk by <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> questions about history. Uh, and i feel like yeah i don't know that it gets any better than that and it doesn't make any sense why they would do this other than like well we need them at the circle k so that rufus can show up like it works for the script but not in any not in any sense of realism yeah this is a thing that and maybe i don't know where our various ages will break along these lines for me the idea that your parents kicked you out of the house and you just went somewhere where you could get some food and you sat there and ate food for a while is oh, yeah. absolutely a thing that happened to me. Like that, that for sure. immediately tracked. See, that, that was not my experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but even if it had been, I mean, this is where you're going to find the answers to your uh, history exam is right here on the step of the yeah. Circle K with a slushie in hand. Like, just asking people when Genghis Khan invaded Mongolia. Yeah. I like that they know what bits of information they like. Exactly. Clearly, they they know that they need to know when Genghis Khan invaded Mongolia, but they're reading that out of a textbook. Right, like the information is literally at their fingertips. They got halfway through that sentence and we're like, we're good here. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so Rufus shows up. He says he's here to help them pass their history project. They look a little skeptical until future Bill and Ted show up and tell them it's okay. <laughs> Uh And there's a delightful moment. And listener, I can't imagine the experience of listening to this episode if you haven't seen this particular movie. That seems like a really weird choice on your part. (laughs) We haven't talked about the fact that Bill and Ted do like air guitar when they're excited. Uh, And and there's like a little musical sting that goes with it. It's so good. And there's a delightful moment when the two Bill and, when Bill and Ted from the future meet Bill and Ted from the present, and they just all air guitar to get like their instinct is is not to figure out what's going on. They're just air guitar. And I like that there's there's like this litmus test of like at first they're like this is great, and then they're like, what if he's lying? Yeah. <laughs> like we just saw you explode from the sky in a telephone booth, and then we saw ourselves explode from the sky in another telephone booth. And we're still like, mm, I don't know. Don't know if I buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite thing about this entire scene, other than there's strange things afoot at the Circle K, which is a sure. perfect line delivered perfectly, yep. yeah. <laughs> is whenever they're like, what number are we thinking of? And they go, 69, dude. Uh, we all collectively <laughs> went nice, nice at the TV, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So Rufus takes them to Austria to find Napoleon. Like they go to watch Napoleon in Austria. Mm -hmm. And Rufus's idea is initially we'll just be like voyeurs of history. We'll just we'll 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 let the guys watch it unfold in real time so they'll Mm -hmm. do better on their presentation. Yeah. What ends up happening somehow is like Napoleon gets shot or Napoleon like he ends up basically in the temporal wake of the yeah, he serves the timeline time yeah yeah he absolutely <laughs> he serves the timeline that is 100% what happened delightful <laughs> the idea that Napoleon gets hit by like direct cannon fire and is not <laughs> remotely harmed <laughs> the it's always been this a point movie. of great joy for me in this movie <laughs> end result right is that napoleon ends up back in like real time back in 1980 whatever (laughs) yeah 1989 i think is when they set this movie yes yeah that sounds right yeah 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 that that definitely makes sense because i feel like (laughs) i never thought about that but this definitely smacks like uh the 90s are coming and like it is very optimistic in that like late 80s early 90s feel you know what i mean it's got us yes you're probably right about the date on that one this is a thing i've talked about on the podcast once or twice before in that i think very specifically my my whatever my micro generation is (laughs) we grew up in like the one 10 year window where the world kind of thought that the world might turn out okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, there was just a brief breather, and to be fair, this was very much the Eurocentric world. Yeah. But there was a brief breather of, like, the mid-80s to mid-90s, where everyone's like, oh, there's... Maybe we figured... There was legitimately histo- a historian who wrote a paper called The End of History. He was like, we did it, guys. <laughs> everything's just gonna be boring. His name was, I think, Fukuyama. Uh, it's just like, everything's gonna be boring now because like there's peace and like that's not a bad he wasn't annoyed about it but he was just like there aren't going to be any more history books because they're not going to be any like 
great events to describe. That was a thing that people thought. And then, like, we invaded Iraq for fun, which is what America just does now from time to time anyway. (laughs) It's our national pastime at this point. (laughs) Right. I like what you said, micro-generation. My micro-generation got 9-11 real good right early. Mm. And then <laughs> got recessioned real, real hard, real fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You and, you kind of reap the benefits of the mistakes we made. Right. Well, it was just kind of, it's one of those things that I always find it interesting that like generationally, we all got a little bit of a different perspective and that's cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's so funny to me that like, I know I am like this level of cynical and people right before me and right after me are completely different ends of that spectrum. <laughs> Sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I I feel that I me and Mark talk about micro generations all the time, and how about like there's like a four year window where like the culture shifts enough to where we have different experiences at different <laughs> points in our lives. Yeah, and uh, like I I it it fascinates me that I've never been like, hey Corey, how old are you? But like, <laughs> uh, twenty nine. Yes, you're wondering. <laughs> oh, there you go. So like, yeah, f- so five years younger than me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you would be part of that like next micro generation, uh, uh, relative to me at least. Yeah, and, and so... my sister definitely feels like she is not of the same generation as me either. Like she's younger than me, uh, and so I definitely see what you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's fascinating. It's be, like when it, we we had like nine eleven happen. We had uh, it was like I was in like social studies in junior high. You see, you got to watch Bill and Ted. This is what we got. Oh. <laughs> we, you got Bill and Ted, <laughs> and we got. Hey, turn hurts. the TV. They said turn the TV on, and we watched a second plane hit a tower. Yeah, all live. That, that happened to me that, in grade um, school. Yeah, that rough, was the second buddy. week I was in college. I had been in college wow. for a week and a half. Look at us. This is yeah. uh, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> we're, we're hitting right this along. This is like some time. still buffering territory. I'm loving yeah. this. So we should note at this point that Rufus didn't go with them to historic Austria. He kind of gave them the instruction manual, which was a phone book, which is great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then kind of left them to it. I don't know why. Maybe the the determinism of this universe requires that to be the way it happens. Right. But he's just like, here's a phone book. Go nuts. I can't imagine, and I've said this, but I can't imagine a person in this current generation engaging with this film for a number of reasons. There's a lot of reasons that, like, I can't imagine a 13-year-old making sense of this movie now. <laughs> but from a very basic standpoint, it was just weird seeing a phone book again. I had a real visceral reaction to a phone book. I do have a lot of questions about how that phone book works, uh, the mechanics of this time booth. Um, nope. <laughs> and like, how many pages must there be in it for any point in past, present, or future to have an entry that they can look up? <laughs> and specifically, now, like spatially as well. Like, I want to be at mm-hmm. Beethoven's house at this day. That's that's a wild <laughs> book. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fine. We're well, let's not overthink the mechanics of the magic <laughs> foam booth that takes us. Uh, across the universe in time and space but <laughs> but also like i feel yeah i i don't know i feel like because it, it's just like a weird shape it's like yeah, yeah. it's just like a weird yeah. it's shape. a very specific artifact 
Yeah, I think, I don't know, like, I think Doctor Who, for some people in this generation, the only, like, reference they have for a phone booth is a Doctor Who mm-hmm. and mm. that Phoebe Bridgers song. Like, that's the only, well. <laughs> that's the only reason they know what those are. You're right. So, they have the they have the phone book, they have the phone booth, they have some basic instructions, and they accidentally bring Napoleon into the future. And I love that their initial reaction is not, oh, we should take him back. It's, oh, perfect. Let's just go get other history people and make them do our presentation for us. This Perfect. is a better plan. Right. I can't fault him for it. The, it the certainly logic is the more movie. fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they take Napoleon to their, to, is it Ted's brother, Deacon? And they say, like, look, just keep an eye on him for a bit. We'll be back. And in the process of sort of leaving again, Ted gets harangued by his dad who says, I've already signed you up for military school. You leave tomorrow. Which, like... This is quick. I, I want to say that it's like, he makes a point of saying, like, right after your presentation. Like, yeah. <laughs> the stakes have just been raised. Like, he's just going to frog march him out of the auditorium. <laughs> Incredible. We then get a sequence of vignettes, some with a little more meat to them, some with less where they just go through history and pick up some other folks. The first one is Billy the Kid. It has a real classic, like, saloon bar fight thing. You know it's the first draft of the script because they said, you know how we have a main character named Bill? Let's go get a a a second Bill. Let's get two Bills (laughs) and a Ted. Two Bills, a Ted, and a pizza place. It's it's absurd to me that they were just like, of all the people they could have gotten first, they said the other guy named Bill. (laughs) There's a there's a bit in the old West zone here where uh, they walk up to the bar and they order drinks and the bartender gives them drinks and then they spin away from the bartender and say like we got to remember this place because they didn't card us uh, uh-huh. and I don't know there's something so <laughs> pure about that that's a good yeah. joke that's a very good joke <laughs> I really I also really like the performance of Dan Shore as Billy the Kid oh there's yeah. Some- it's just so guileless for a hardened <laughs> outlaw. It is. And he arguably goes through like the most uh, character change out of all <laughs> right? of the history uh, folks. Yeah. Uh, and he's just on board. He's like, all right, these are my pals. Just Ride or die with yeah, these guys. immediately now. assimilates into like 1980-something. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to help them get several of the other. Like, he's going to literally lasso a guy for yeah. them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's just on board with whatever is happening. Adjusting get, to the uh, oddity of time travel with incredible ease yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I yeah, mean, just great. Really, yep. really into it. They get Socrates. Socrates is doing this sort of like speech, I guess. Lecture is probably the right word. Yeah. About like the ephemeral nature of humanity. <laughs> uh, and he's talking about how we're like sand slipping through slipping through our our own fingers and the boys connect with him because they're like yeah dust in the wind baby we're all just dust in the wind that's another very good dumb joke that whole scene you see is predicated on bill being like quote him some lyrics dude <laughs> yeah. yeah and here's another place where i wonder uh, so Again, I can't imagine a new young person watching this movie because it just doesn't seem like any of it would make sense. Like, the existence of this movie would not make sense to them. (laughs) 
But Socrates does like a full on Days of Our Lives joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as as the sands pass through the hourglass, so go the Days of Our Lives. Oh my like, God. That's yep. the opening title <laughs> screen of Days of Our Lives. How did I not pick that up? It's incredible. Because <laughs> Days of Our Lives hasn't been relevant for like, I'm not Ever. even sure it was particularly relevant oh. in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, so they get they get Socrates, who they call Socrates, and then they go back to just, and I'm unclear as to why they're here. They go back to like 15th century England. Yeah. You know, castles and knights and kings. But like, Who would be the person they're trying to get here? Right? There never <laughs> seems to be a target here. I don't know how this works, but my brain was like, because isn't the like princess, one of them named like Elizabeth? So I was like, is that just Queen Elizabeth? Is that who they're going back to? Uh, get, that's princesses like, Joanna and Elizabeth. Okay. But okay. they never go back to, like, the proper time. Like, they never go back to their own timelines. Yeah, they become, like, <laughs> band members at the end of this movie, which is also absurd to me. Um, oh, but so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some choices are made here, and I don't know why. Yeah, I'm with y'all. I don't know why we're here other than they were like, hey, we need to go back. We have to. We're doing a time travel movie. We have to go back into, like doing Night a time times. travel movie yeah, we like already got England. one of these castles in the next soundstage over <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> there's a good heavy metal joke when they're putting on like they just put on full suits of is armor it, and sword fight is that a joke or do they just say the words heavy metal and then cackle about it <laughs> well okay but they they don't just like say heavy metal and if they did like just straight to camera say heavy metal i still would have laughed but it's like uh <laughs> i would have laughed harder <laughs> i think he uh he says like oh it's so heavy and then they both go like ah oh, heavy metal <laughs> yeah. uh which I, the, there's the something joyous realization <laughs> yeah in their it's faces. funny not because of the words but because of their like oh <laughs> like they're so excited <laughs> about it but the following the following dialogue is for my money the perfect joke because they're doing, like, they get swords and they're doing uh, lightsaber fighting, yeah. right? They're making lightsaber yes. noises. And and Ted says, I'm Darth Ted. Yeah. And Bill says, and I'm Luke <laughs> Bill. Yes. He is not Bill Skywalker. He is not Luke Preston. No. He is Luke Bill. It's the yes. perfect joke. That joke is good. so good. It's real good. <laughs> I'm Luke Bill. Luke Bell's very funny. They it is, it is one really... of the moments in this movie that I actually get a genuine laugh out of. <laughs> it's so good. And they're doing these like really affected voices. Like they're trying to act while acting. <laughs> yeah. It's uh-huh. so good. It is. And that's... So, so if you're following along in the notes, this is where I get very uh-huh. angry. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a, that scene is so pure and perfect, and it's just these two guys being their absolute silliest in all sorts of ways. <laughs> and then a minute later, they follow it up with the F-slur. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. It was uh-huh. terrible in 1989, and it's like a slap across the face hearing it now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It, it is was arguably worse. uncomfortable in 2021. <laughs> yeah. We are all more uncomfortable with it now, but it is arguably worse to have been dropped during the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, Jesus. Uh, it was not great. Uh, and not also, great. the context of this with. slur being said is, like, during the midst of a loving embrace between these two characters. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, and I feel like the studio had notes that said, this is too gay. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I genuinely do wonder if, like, that hug... Here. 
was like written in and then they were told like nah you gotta you gotta tone it back or something like i don't know (laughs) there's something there but the tone even the tone of with which they both deliver that word yeah neither of them say it angrily or gross or disgusted there's this like if that is studio notes those two Uh dummies are accidentally trying to redeem it because there's this love like there's a love expressed it's so weird yeah it does feel ah it's so uncomfortable because you don't want to hear it but at the same time you're hearing it and you're like there was something familial about that exchange in a way that almost proves the opposite of the thing that they're trying to express you know what i mean right they say it like two like two boys who are afraid to look at themselves. Yeah. Like you yeah. can hear it yeah, in yeah. their voice. Yeah. You can hear the internalized homophobia <laughs> in the acting. This is a they play it in a weird way. They play it like this is a learned response that they didn't necessarily yes. want to say. Right. But think that they play it. Yes. Mm-hmm. They play it like your dad took you to a baseball game and your dad yelled a thing and so you even yeah. though you don't like that your dad yelled that thing you're gonna <laughs> yell it too because you don't want right. your dad to be disappointed in you <laughs> but yeah that's it for sure it's cop dad would be mad if he didn't say it so. <laughs> right there's something about cop dad that really definitely tracks on that one <laughs> right right <laughs> so yeah that's horrible yeah and it comes right after like one of the best goofiest moment yeah so yeah i'm with One you of on the better that. moments in the whole film and and uh, then this because the the framing of it is uh-huh. uh bill thought ted had died yeah and was so delighted to discover that he didn't that they exchanged a hug and so it's this real like joyous and sweet moment between the two of them yeah it's all like everything up to that exact moment was so good that it really like yeah. It really twists the knife. It, even, yeah, it really twists like, the knife. Like, seconds before this. So, like, yeah, uh, Ted falls down the stairs in his suit of armor. Um, uh-huh. Bill runs to the top of the stairwell and sees somebody stab a sword through the armor. And he runs yep. down and he, you know, fights the guy or whatever. Um, but then Ted pops up out of nowhere and, like, clangs the guy over the head. Uh, and it's like, we just saw Ted on the ground. <laughs> and so it's like this yeah. really absurd moment of, like, he just, the explanation is, I fell out of the suit when yes. I hit the ground. Uh, but the you. suit is perfectly intact with, like, the gloves still on. <laughs> uh-huh. So he would have just, like, shot out the helmet hole? Like, I don't understand. Right. The um, the absurdity just, of that. Yeah, moment. it's the, absolutely the, wild. I Yeah, I watched it the first time, like, last night. And, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. listeners, I, listened, I watched this twice. And the first time it happened, I was like, this is, really? This is where they... <laughs> This is what they, but then I watched it the second time and I'm like, that's a good joke. But it's, it's funnier <laughs> on a second. Yeah, I don't know. It on the first way through, you're like, we wrote this bit where we actually wanted to stab Ted and in, increase our like, you know, there's drama now. But then we uh-huh. decided halfway through doing that we didn't want to anymore. Right. And yeah, like, I don't know. 
so like you don't see him wearing the vest earlier in the movie he has the hood like the jacket on over it and you don't see that he has the vest on so i thought like they're hiding a stab wound with that vest mm-hmm. like whenever that happened i was like okay there's gonna be a thing and he's gonna like get like they're, they're gonna recover him like or treat him somehow and they'll have a moment with the princesses and that's what that was about nope none of that fucking matters <laughs> nope. <laughs> he just no stakes out he, he yeah no stakes he just oopsied <laughs> out of the armor magically at the bottom of the stairs <laughs> and yeah and then hit and clocked a dude in the head and the bit about the princesses there's nothing happens there he flirts with them for like a minute and then they go back to their own time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah their king dad is like no this is definitely not happening Uh there's a there's a joke about an iron maiden yeah and then billy the kid and socrates rescue bill and ted yeah yeah the princesses are on screen for, I don't know, 90 seconds of screen time here? <laughs> Something like that. So at this point, the phone booth, it had it, it had taken some damage in the Napoleon times. Takes a little more damage here. Mm-hmm. And they end up in Rufus's time. So in the year like 2688 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Rufus isn't here, but they meet the council and just like some gathered citizens, I guess sure it's a music video that you're watching at this point it's yeah there's almost no dialogue (laughs) the music swells up real loud and uh and then everybody like mimes playing guitar together in this beautiful little moment it's so weird we ended up with a weird cult around two white metalheads from the 1980s like what (laughs) okay But how can we avoid this future is what I want to know. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, I, until shockingly recently, had a banner in my home that said Wild Stallions, because when the third movie came out, my wife and I made that banner nice. and put it up in our living room and left it Incredible. there. Incredible. Um, but OK, but in this weird sequence, that's when you get. The thesis statement of the movie, which uh, they they kind of like lean forward, like, are you going to say anything cool? Um, and so they they do the weird Socrates thing again, where they just kind of say the first thing that pops into their head. Uh, yep. And it's be excellent to each other, which like perfect. That's like the best shit I've ever heard. There are much worse things to build a religion around. Literally sure. th- the best thing I think they could have ever said in that scenario. <laughs> Uh, and and weirdly enough, and this is—I mean—it sounds like a joke. That's—I mean—I try to live that way, and, and because not because of this movie, but just because like that sentence is so simple, but like it it, <laughs> it works right. Like in any situation, you can kind of be like, "Is this excellent? What I'm doing here to somebody else? <laughs> no, I better not do it." You know what I mean? Like it just works. <laughs> and then tack on the uh, and party on dudes at the end of it. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Genius. It is really wild to think that like the two core figures of these people's religion <laughs> just popped in. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. the one bit of new truth that they have to add to canon, because presumably <laughs> like canon must be their music, right? Their works, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like they show up. They have come out of the past, you know, they in many ways like resurrected because at this time they've been dead for hundreds of years. And they're like, all right, what should we do? Like what guidance 
do, do our holiest of holies have for us? They're just like, be excellent to each other. Yep. Great. Perfect. <laughs> great addition to the canon. So beautiful about which is, that. <laughs> which is a thing that the future, I don't know, council, uh, I don't know, popery, what, popery? <laughs> pop, po- not popery, but like, <laughs> y- like it's a pope, but like, it, I don't yep, know. I got you. Popery. Okay. okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, what the fuck was that? Uh, they <laughs> they say that earlier in the film too. So like, I'm I'm pretty sure they live in a deterministic universe. Is what I'm. Yeah, what I'm I think Rufus there. does show up and that. say, "Greetings, my excellent friends." Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, maybe this is maybe this is not new to them either. <laughs> you do take a a brief cut because this is now Bill and Ted sort of understand the stakes now, at least in so far as they're ever going to, right? I think the pacing uh, of this movie is just so weird. <laughs> it's very <laughs> weird because at this point there's maybe 30 minutes of movie left. Yeah. And we have a brief cut back to Napoleon just eating a giant bowl of ice cream. We it give is like truly grotesque. four minutes of this 90 minute film to yeah. just a scene about Napoleon eating ice cream. Yeah, we didn't yeah. do that. No. <laughs> it definitely is not my favorite part of the movie. It's so weird. Like, did they just did they need to fill some time? They were at eighty six minutes, or like that's like that's not feature length yet. I don't know. I don't know why Napoleon's in this movie. I. It's a weird choice for sure. It's yeah, a, it's a choice. It's a choice. He's in the movie because he was going to be like... in the report. Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> in my mind, it would have been so much funnier to strand like Socrates in oh, like nineteen yeah. eighties. Then, like, Napoleon, I think, like, that character would have had some, like, just much better, like, humor. Like, just tell you what, find all these things enlightening. And it would be very, like, wholesome and fun. And instead, we have the world's crankiest toddler man running around, like, <laughs> eating the biggest bowl of ice cream I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> the a montage thing. coming up where, uh, like, all of the historical figures are, like, let loose in a mall. And yep. they they make excellent use of that limited time in that montage to make as many jokes about each of these characters as they possibly can. It's mm-hmm. very good. <laughs> but I, I struggle to think of like how you would play uh, Napoleon in that scene. You know what I mean? Like That's a fair He point. has to yep. go to Waterloo. He has to right. eat ice cream. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Such a good are, joke, too. Are the we at Waterloo yet? <laughs> yeah. Are we? <laughs> I think Did maybe I'm skipping it? ahead. I'm sorry. No, like, no, like it's fine. It, none of this fucking matters. It's a movie about a time-traveling <laughs> set of Golden Retriever boys. It... So Napoleon at Waterloo is absurd to me. The, the phrase <laughs> Napoleon at Waterloo is, uh, it's that's enough, right? <laughs> sure. Yep. I feel yeah. like they just, that's where they were trying to get with it. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The whole joke. That was the, like, maybe that's why Napoleon's in this movie. Jesus. Which is funny because, like, <laughs> the guys are like, let's think, if we were Napoleon, where would we go? We go. And then they both already know the answer Waterloo, which seems like they knew some stuff about Napoleon and maybe didn't need to kidnap him already. Right. It's also like, I know Napoleon is associated with Waterloo, but for very, very, like, that's the end of Napoleon. (laughs) Like, that's where the Napoleonic Wars 
finish. Right. It's a real strange leap to be like, I know where that dude would want to go. <laughs> Deterministic. Yeah. yeah, it's very yeah. weird. I don't know. The, <laughs> Napoleon at Waterloo is a very weird set of like scenes for me because he's like right. enjoying himself at a water park and that's fine. I'm I'm on board. But then like the music kicks in and it's like this weird like sexy music that's happening. And they <laughs> speed ramp and, all the footage so he's running funny like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the that's not the part that made me uncomfortable. It wasn't <laughs> weird frame rates. It was his interaction with these very young girls. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It makes me deeply uncomfortable with the sexy music playing in the background. I'm like <laughs> Uh, is this is also, everyone seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? <laughs> uh, is that maybe I'm thinking of a different scene? Is that intercut with uh, footage of like the other fi- the historical figures as well, or is it just I can't remember? Is it just that? It is a little bit, yeah. Because what's within the timeline? They're going to take Napoleon for ice cream, then they're going to take him bowling because Deacon's just trying to kill time until his brother right. gets back. Right, and Napoleon is just like such an ass while they're bowling. That Deacon and his his friends abandon him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Napoleon's going to find his way to Waterloo on his own, roughly the same time that everyone else is in the mall. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty much where we are in the movie, except there is a, a montage, because the guys have figured out the stakes now. They're like, oh, well, we should, we should make sure we get some extra credit. Let's go pick up more than three people. And we have, a, like, a flash montage of getting Freud and Beethoven, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, and Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> the, uh, with the exception of, uh, no, I guess it's pretty much just Beethoven and Joan of Arc. The way that they pick them up is the joke, mm-hmm. almost. Like, right. like, Beethoven is performing, and, you know, he's deaf, and so... Uh, everyone in the room but him notices them explode in on their, like, TARDIS. (laughs) And they just pick up his bench and walk away. Uh, Yeah. Like, for Joan of Arc, she's, like, praying at an altar, and then it's like, there's the boys, like, reaching out of a golden light, like, come with us. He's doing the... He he extends the finger, like... Yeah, he does the whole The creation thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the one that's real sad, right? Because, like, we know the end of the story for Joan of Arc, and right. it's not very far away. No. Like, it's a real bummer. <laughs> it, yeah, that one does, like, everyone else, you're like, yeah, they get a, you know, they get a funny, like, little pickup. And then Joan of Arc is like, this is literal God answering my prayers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And my so she prayers for no... deliverance from this horrible yeah. fate that I believe I Which have. Which happens <laughs> twice for her in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yep. Yep, and then they all go to the mall because they get back, and Deacon uh-huh. doesn't have Napoleon. Right. They're like, "All right, everybody, we need you to learn about 1989 Santimus for our report." That makes sense. So you just like hang out at the mall for a bit and learn what you can. We'll be back with Napoleon. Right. And that's mm-hmm. when we get a little bit of the cuts between the mall and the water park. I feel like I'm and, and just this like point. history folks hanging out at the mall. Yeah. I, I don't want to spend like too too much time on this, but like this is the most fun, weird section of the movie to me. It's so good, and it's all set to like, uh, you know, like Beethoven ass rock music, <laughs> um, <laughs> where like Genghis Khan is like raiding the sporting goods store for baseball bats and skateboards, and 
and Freud is eating corn dogs because, like, of course he is. Yep. And... Right. Yep. Joan of Arc is doing like jazzercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The jazzercise <laughs> bit's real good, along with the uh, just Beethoven like shredding. I think some of the others yeah. I can mostly take or leave. I do yeah. like Genghis Khan doing like a whole ass front flip over somebody and landing <laughs> back on the skateboard. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. I think Joan of Arc and Beethoven have the strongest bits there. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm just now remembering that like uh yeah Beethoven sits down at like an electric keyboard and uh the salesman guy is like real sleazy and he walks over and it's just like such a funny interaction where he's like hey check this out and flips on the demo mode and so it starts playing music on his own and Beethoven starts like ah ha ha clapping and then just starts playing atonal something else over the top of it yep <laughs> like yep. just different music uh, <laughs> there's something so funny because they cut away from it like mid chord press which is if you want me to laugh like the funniest thing you can do is cut away after introducing a loud sound you know like a perfectly mm. cut scream or like sure it, it scratches that same itch it's very good we end up with while the while the guys are getting napoleon the the antics at the mall are getting out of hand and for some reason, the, like, on-beat mall cop is Ted's dad? Is that... I don't think he is. Is he? Is the, <laughs> or is he like, just, like, dealing with them once there? they come to the station? Yeah. I think no, he just deals with them at the station. I think he's processing okay. them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's some, like, obligatory, funny, but, like, oh, you had to do this jokes where the cops are interviewing historical figures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It's, it's, the, these jokes are maybe the most predictable in the movie, but, oh, yeah. it, you know, you have to do it. The, the end result here is Bill and Ted have to bust them all out of prison. And this is where we get heavily into the determinism we were talking about later. Because the movie is just about over. There's not a lot of time for a jailbreak. I love that and you so said later. I love that you said later. I I love you. I just want you to know that right right in this moment. Go on. So <laughs> they solve the problem of how are we going to get them out of jail? We don't have any key. Like my dad has the keys, but he lost them. What are we going to do? And they just solve the problem by saying like, well, we'll deal with it later. Like future us will come back and give current us the things that we need. And they just successively ramp that joke up to an, to its most of because yeah. initially it's, oh, we'll leave the keys here for us to find it. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we'll make a, a, a cassette tape vocal distraction yeah. to get dad out of it. And it's just like they just keep successively ramping up the absurdity of what future them will do with with Ted's ironclad conviction that it will be fine because the keys are there. So obviously that meant it works. Right. You you know how he didn't remember to wind his watch earlier? <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely going to remember to do all these things after the presentation, which the fact that it like it happens, they already know that the presentation works. Yeah. So like they all the tension should be taken out of their actions. <laughs> I will give them that uh at least uh, kind of at the beginning of the movie Ted's dad uh when they're having that conversation about military school is like looking for his keys and can't find them. Uh, yeah, so at yeah. least the movie had right. the wherewithal to like call that shot, <laughs> but the rest of it yep. seems like I don't know. And this too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. 
And that kind of culminates with them, as we, again, mentioned at a different point in this podcast, with them just dropping a trash can on Ted's mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. Or and something then jumping out a window it? and running to school. There have been little bits of other students' presentations kind of scattered throughout to yeah. let us know that, like, time's running out. The presentations are already happening. And they're really good. They're really, they're so good with, like, they exactly capture the level of, like, high school sincerity mm-hmm. that, that, like, that student is putting so much oof into, like, this is definitely what I think that historical person would feel about today. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter at all, but they're so passionate about it. Right. At, with the exception of the, uh, the, like, quarterback guy. Yeah. yeah, who has no idea perfect. what's going on, and I guess is maybe going to military school if his dad is anything like Ted, <laughs> um, and uh, and just kind of doesn't make a point, and then just screams San Dimas football rules, and then yeah. and then it's oh everybody Steve cheers. The <laughs> and then just as they're getting near the end, like the presentations are all wrapped up, we're out of time, and Bill and Ted like burst into the scene. There's a very like a cinematic stage show kicking oh, off. So good. Like who, somebody who the lights. Somebody from the future. <laughs> I was just going to say this. They went Thank you. forward in time to find somebody who could program the lights yesterday. Yep. <laughs> and uh, cue up all the music and all the lighting cues. They've got the PA working because they have microphones for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real good. It's so good. Yeah, it's, you're right. My question was ridiculous because this is a movie where nothing <laughs> matters. And they can literally just excuse it with, we're going to do it later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right. as I, so the the truth of this movie is that the entire thing is a retelling through Rufus's perspective. Mm-hmm. So this movie is how people in the future are telling the story, which is why none of the details matter. What matters is the high-level archetype. Like, that's what we remember in myth and in legend and in religious texts. Is Mm -hmm. is, Right. Of course he needed an A+, because that's, like, the most dire stakes. It's also why... Like, the nuance smooths out. We never see Bill and Ted be like, man, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm going to leave. Right, like right? you gotta assume that at some point during the broken telephone booth disaster, they were like, "I guess we'll die." Like, but <laughs> right? The collective consciousness of the future is like, no, they were always resolute and they always got it done. Yep. <laughs> so. And they fixed a time machine with a wad of gum. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> and the presentation is just this goofy light show that is a mix of people from history talking about themselves and bill and ted talking about people from history and also ted gets like a full therapy session from sigmund freud in front of (laughs) all of his classmates about his oedipus complex uh no that's bill right that's bill Bill. yeah ted's is about how his father is a small man yeah who lives in fear and forces his fear on others and who is also there watching at yeah, this point. yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, it sticks in my craw that he calls it an edible complex. Like, so I just have a minor edible complex, and I guess we're supposed to like look at it and go, like, you know, that's yeah, that makes sense because, because that's like that's a stuff because it's Missy, right? Yeah, because of but I'm like, 
but they went to school together. Like, it's not like... <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like she occupied that role in his mind. It's, it's like a, so I interesting that he I don't want to be know. the guy defending this. I'm just very confused as all. <laughs> Sounds like you do want to be the guy defending this. Oh, I, I swear to God. <laughs> that is just Bill's understanding. Like, for some reason, uh-huh. because it was about sex, the phrase yeah. Oedipal Complex yeah. is the one thing he learned from, like language right, whatever like, yeah what whatever lit class he had to take that phrase stuck in his brain and he knew it was just about like someone wanting to get it on with their mom and right. so he uh-huh. put those two pieces together he nailed yeah he nailed it uh and yet he didn't <laughs> he finish the sentence one. about like <laughs> right <laughs> napoleon thing or like he, he knows to ask the question when did the mongols rule china right? <laughs> oh my god Stop poking holes in the things that I love. <laughs> I'm not. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm just well, trying it's to okay like... with this movie yeah, yeah. because the nature of this movie mm-hmm. makes this movie bulletproof. That's fair. There's no way to yeah. poke a hole in this movie. The entire movie is holes. <laughs> wow, they made Swiss cheese. Yeah, they made <laughs> what's that? These two like bumbling like teenagers made some bad decisions. Shocker. Uh, like right, it's of course they would. <laughs> That's the characters that they are. What's that? They can just fix things in the future. They have a time machine. Of course they could. Like it, yeah. Nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, the movie is bulletproof. You can love it or hate it. It's fine. But there's no need, like there's no reason to try to deconstruct yeah. it. There's nothing here. Yeah, everything yeah. is right on the surface. <laughs> it's so surface level. It's like it. Yeah, it's. It is aggressively surface level. It's like <laughs> straight to DVD sequel in the '90s surface level movie. Oh, for it's sure. Like the, there's nothing to it, and I, I say that as somebody movie... who liked Neverending Story three for what it was. So sure. And the movie ends on Rufus bringing uh, princesses Elizabeth and Joanna, who again they interacted with for I don't know ten minutes generously, <laughs> counting time that happened off screen. Right. And he's like, hey, these are your girlfriends and they're members of your band now. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it is weird that, they, that Rufus just drops them off and I'm like, here, women are your reward for completing the thing. <laughs> well, I, I have they, saved them from their arranged marriage. From the royal yes, ugly That's dudes. how they, yeah. Th- those By dudes are arranging ugly, you don't marriage to you, I guess? I mean, but, okay, that's but sort of the implication. They're in the band. Uh-huh. He says that they are part of the they're band. They're in the band, yeah. Right, yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> Correct. Which, I mean, it doesn't make it better. Right. <laughs> okay. That's all I'm saying. And yes. boy, we're going to examine that entire thing. Oh, with yeah. the movie. Oh, Boise. It's a lot Interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, so that'll <laughs> oh, be Oh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, that's it. That's the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Journey. We did it. Or Adventure? <laughs> Excellent, Excellent Adventure. Adventure. Excellent Adventure, yes. How yeah, dare yeah. you, you Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> it this was... I love this movie. I still love this movie. Every yeah. time I watch this movie, yeah. I love it. there's some movies from my childhood that I love that I watch on revisit. I'm like, well, that'll live in a happy space in my memory. But like, <laughs> I can't. It doesn't work now. Yeah. I still love watching this movie. The thing is, I want to say that it's timeless, but it's so not right. Like, it just happens <laughs> right. to work very well because it's it's so mm-hmm. bizarre and it's bizarre no matter when you watch it. So you might as well watch it now. 
Yeah, I I think time travel movies almost always have this because they always want to set time travel movies in the present mm-hmm. for whatever yes. reason. Like the choices they make are always the time travel movie happens right now as the like whenever this piece of media comes out or yeah. it like it's set so far in the future that like we're making guesses about the future based off of modern technology so it still dates the thing. Mm-hmm. Um so they're almost always like somehow contradictorily like very much of their time for time yeah. travel movies. Yeah, I don't yeah. it's yeah it's a it's a weird thing where like you're making the whole point of the movie is what's we're gonna like try and visit all these different time periods, but it almost always ends up being very of its time because of just yeah, the devices absolutely. you have to use to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I I'm a huge fan of sci fi, um and, and it informs a lot of like what I make and do. Um mm-hmm. but I think that uh, yeah, there is a danger of like a lot of like current sci-fi stuff is trying to be grounded in reality now, which I think is wild. Um, yeah. Whereas like uh, like I love Alien, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That one, I'm for some reason more willing to believe the weird like eight-bit graphics computers that make sure. the spinning noises <laughs> like than I am the uh, you know like the the star trek sort of like hollow deck for some reason like i don't know why that is uh, but i feel like if you can successfully date your sci-fi thing it kind of works and be- again because i didn't live through an era where like telephone booths were everywhere to me it has that like little uh little dated quality that makes it work as a timeless sci-fi thing somehow to me but I think that's just a matter of perspective. Who knows? Yeah, it's this movie's a movie, and I, <laughs> I like. It sounds like I'm sour on it, but I think that's just because I have a very flat affect most of the time when I'm talking about things. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Uh I think to some people's chagrin, I didn't like love it. Like it, it's not. It's not like something that I'm gonna be like, oh shit! Now I'm like a massive Bill and Ted fan. Um, and I don't like, know. I'm maybe you watch it like six or seven more times. <laughs> maybe if I could go back to being like 13 uh, and watch sure, it in my yeah. social yeah. studies class, then like yeah, they would probably do it for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, here, here's the, like here's what I think my hangup is with Bill and Ted is that it sits in between a time period of like uh, right after this we had that first Ninja Turtles movie, which is. Uh, unassailably perfect i will not hear otherwise and (laughs) and after wayne's world and i feel like they i'm my brain is automatically comparing these characters to our main characters in both of those movies Mm -hmm. because they're both doing the like cowabunga thing (laughs) and i think the jokes are like tighter in the turtles movie and i think in uh, like the aesthetic presentation of things is like better in Wayne's world. <laughs> so that's wild know. to me. Cause I, I find Wayne Wayne's world to be the drastically inferior movie between these two. Yeah, I do. Too. It is just a weird, it more cynical is. copy. Like <laughs> three years later, they were like, well, what if we took this and, uh-huh. and instead made it just a little like angrier. Oh, okay. and grumpier. Yeah. This yeah. Is, is, this do is, I have yeah, my time? W reboot. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wade's World was like four years after Bill and Ted. All yeah. right. All right. Fair I enough. I may be wrong about fair that. Fair enough. I no, I think you're right. Fair enough. No, wait. <laughs> that helps recontextualize that for me because I, in my brain, have always thought like Wayne's World predated Bill and yeah. Ted. This and, is like, a Hydrox Oreo like a, situation. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Is that it? Have we talked enough about a Bill and a Ted? I mean, I don't know if you could ever talk Ted. enough about Bill and Ted, but. <laughs> Anyway, that seems like a note to end the Bill and Ted podcast on. What are we watching next? Next up, as one might expect, we're going to watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at The Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. I spent a, this will get cut for sure, but I spent a distressing part of my childhood owning high scores on several Ms. Pac-Man machines oh, around the mid-state. <laughs> Why would you cut that? That's gold. <laughs> that's, yeah. You, you were Billy Mitchell. <laughs> you have to... <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> you don't do Mark dirty like that. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! Uh, uh, now you do have to cut it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. This is probably going to be uh, our after credits bump. Now is it? <laughs>